before we get to the real meat of this episode, which is essentially going to be me being incredibly upset at the fact that I'm talking to someone that gets to play with one of my absolute dream cameras and the burning <laughs> hatred and jealousy I have for you based on that, uh, we have to start this the same way we do every single time, which is to find out why in particular you found photography and uh, what, what really gave you your start with the camera. Okay, so I know that I will have some time to thicken up my skin to get ready for the jealousy and hate. I'm I'm aware of that, <laughs> but uh, to get to get to the to the proper question, well, I mean it, it has been some time back, so it's sometimes hard to remember. But for me, basically, picking up a camera was more or less a coincidence, I would say, because I've always tried to be creative and tried to find like my path in forms of creativity and self-expression. But for the longest time for me, it has always been painting. And I've been to like a small little art school where I learned like classical painting techniques and, and things like that. And um, as my kind of paintings got more and more complex, I needed more referencing pictures to kind of get inspiration for my paintings. And back then, um, I usually simply Googled everything and tried to come up with my referencing pictures that way. And at some point I just thought, you know what, I think it's way easier to get the images, you know, I would like to have as a referencing picture if I simply took them myself. That's basically when it started. I bought a camera and I took pictures, not, you know, for the, for the part of photo photography, but purely and simply for the part to kind of improve my painting. And yeah, I think it uh, took some time to really click off that I saw photography as a whole individual kind of genre or medium for myself and not only as a tool to improve my painting, but that's basically how it started, I would say. Well, I definitely got the impression from just reading the about section on your, on your website and having watched your videos. And I don't want this to sound like a negative. I, I have a distinctly German character in that I say everything that sounds <laughs> fairly harsh and I don't mean it to. Um, but I get the impression you're quite non-committal with photography, that it's, it's not, mm -hmm. it's like for a lot of photographers, especially ones I've spoken to, and I would say I'm probably guilty of this, I'm very focused on the medium, whereas mm -hmm. you don't seem to be particularly focused on the medium as much as it's just a way to get to the, the end product that you want. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that you mentioned that because nobody kind of told me that um, in the first place. And I would be curious to hear what kind of gave you the impression. But um, on the bottom line, I think you are definitely right, because for me, it just feels like photography is one medium to kind of achieve my goal. And my goal is basically to understand things, to understand like other people, to understand myself and my feelings and my inner life. And it's nice that it's kind of working out in terms of photography right now, but it wouldn't have to be photography, you know, like the videos are also one part of my self-expression process, but on the side, I'm still doing other things. I'm, for example, I think many people don't know that, but I'm still um, being active in writing and in theater because these are also like some of my hobbies. And for me, it's just everything goes hand in hand, in hand and it's interchangeable. And I don't feel like... Um, you know, photography is the only channel that I can have for self-expression. Well, I, I spent time as a songwriter and I really felt like, um, especially given sort of the, the, the time I was in my life, it was a, a really easy outlet for me. It was very easy because mm -hmm. it's very literal. You can, you can use metaphor, you, but you're in control of the words. You, it's, it's kind of strange. Now I get very um, bent out of shape about people misinterpreting photos that I'm taking. 
But mm-hmm. when I was writing songs, I almost enjoyed people misinterpreting them mm-hmm. because <laughs> I knew what the meaning was and that's all that mattered. And it's taken me a very long time. I started photography back in 2013. It's taken me a very long time to get comfortable with people not understanding what I'm doing or people not liking what I'm doing, but mm-hmm. it's okay because I do. And Definitely, when I yeah. look at you, the way you speak um, and and I'm very much aware, although your English is better than most English people, I'm very much aware that there's always a language barrier when someone's speaking a second language. I do yes. get this impression. You speak externally. You speak about subjects. You speak about elements of photos, whereas most photographers talk about equipment or genres, or they talk very internally about photography. Like The only people that would understand the conversation they're having are other people that have very, very similar interests to them. Whereas the way you speak is, I think, much more approachable for people outside of the somewhat toxic, at times, bubble of photography. So uh, what what keeps you doing photography? If you have these other mediums like, you know, painting and art and so on, what makes photography, what, what does photography do for you that makes it part of your rotation of expression? Damn it, we're getting down to the like deep questions, like right from the start. I think it's not like I haven't asked myself that question. It's a very good question because I'm not sure if I know the answer yet. I don't think it's all that conscious, you know, I just feel like this is what I enjoy right now. This is kind of what's um, helping me to express right now. And I think this is all I see. I know that this is the medium that I'm drawn to at the moment. I don't know if this will be the same in 10 years from now. And I think I'm simply not trying to overthink things you know i've been very very passionate about other media and i'm you know still very passionate about other media but right now i feel like my heart is in photography like <laughs> deep down and all in i think basically because at one point it kind of clicked for me because like earlier when i had like a more kind of distant connection to photography i always thought that you know it's a tool to kind of um, interpret the world in the way that it really is. That I always saw photography as a tool of kind of realism, you know, to put down, because you take a photo of what you see. But for me, it was more of a mental process and I think almost a philosophical approach when I realized that that's not how it has to be. There's like a, a lens that is distor- distorting reality. We have um, different settings in the camera that we can use to kind of interpret the world and not only kind of take a picture of it in a plain way, but with long exposures, with uh, motion blur, with flash, with different kind of angles, we have like a lot of control about how we see the world. And I think I needed to go through the kind of mental change process that photography is not a tool to um, kind of inscript the reality 101 how it is but to kind of interpret it in a way and since I realized that I just feel like I'm digging deeper and deeper into photography and feel like there's so much to explore and so much to learn that I just cannot get rid of it right now because I'm (laughs) I feel like I'm not even halfway in and I still want to explore more and I think the curiosity to see what else I can achieve with this medium that is not like a blank canvas like when you're painting where you have like almost all of the elements in your own hands but you have to work with what you have through the kind of uh, distorting media of photography which is I think was what fascinates me right now I think that was very complex right I don't know if it makes sense but at least it made sense in my head for a second so I hope there's like at least one tiny bit that makes sense in, in what I'm saying here 
Well, it made sense to me, and and really, let's be honest, it's it's my podcast. I don't care what the listeners think, so that's fine. <laughs> I mean, you touched on something very briefly there, which is something I see from the outside. Um, when I came into photography, I've been in in different creative fields pretty much my whole life, um, mm-hmm. and I'm still interested in things outside of what I currently do. Photography is my job, but I still see it as a creative field. But the, the photography has, has just so many rules that seem to be kind of self-governed by pissed off people who use the internet like a hammer. Mm-hmm. And I don't see that. I, I know that people, what I find is like with music, if people don't like a, a style of music, they just don't bother with it. They, they go and find something they do like. And if people don't like, and I'm very much talking from a lack of experience here, but I feel like with art, people gravitate towards what they do enjoy, whether it be like a painting, a drawing, whatever. If they don't like something that's abstract, they just don't gravitate towards it. They gravitate towards something they do like, and they focus Mm -hmm. on that. You don't see people with walls of art books of stuff they don't like so they can complain about it. They they buy and they, they buy into the art that they do like. Whereas photography seems to be a very, and maybe I'm just getting a bit long in the tooth with it now, and especially with the podcast, speaking to a lot of different people and a lot of feedback I get. But it feels like it's very much bound by a set of rules that are completely, well, they're just complete nonsense overall. And, and, and I mean, street photography, you do street photography, seems to be one of, the, one of the strongest for this, where there's rules that people have that they use to govern other people's creativity instead of just going out and creating something for themselves or just gravitating towards the art that they like. Is there something about, and you're the intelligent one in this conversation, so I'm relying heavily on you here, uh, but is there something about photography as a medium that you think brings about this like authoritarianism? Well, I think I will have to think about the kind of set of rules that you mentioned briefly um regarding like music and art and photography in the first place because i'm not quite sure if photography is kind of the only medium that is you know more or less more or less um kind of implied with people like as authorities as you called it because i think with music and with um art it's kind of the same you know when people see a blank canvas being exhibited in I don't know, a museum. And then there's like a price tag of a couple of thousand bucks. People get crazy and spread hate. And I think that's kind of the same. If you glue a $80 lens on your Leica M6, that people go crazy and (laughs) feel like this is a kind of, this is breaking the rules. So I'm not sure if photography is the only medium that's, that's kind of implying it. But I think because I mean, you as well and me as well, we're kind of engaging in social media forms of photography. This is generally a place where more of those people can kind of uh, show their faces. So, yeah, I think this is not answering the question, but I think um, photography is not the only genre because I think that's kind of, you know, uniform across artistic media that people get hate and people get crazy and people disagree. So I think that's point number one. Um, But I mean, it is true that in terms of photography, I feel like the kind of critical voices of other people or the more or less elitist voices seem to be kind of loud. And I I don't have an explanation for that. But my guess would be that um, it always gets, let's say, kind of tempered or heated up when uh, there's like, as you say, a set of rules and 
a set of rules that is more technical. And with photography, you know, there are some techniques that are kind of that have to be learned beforehand because you have to learn about aperture, about a shutter speed, about ISO and stuff like that. And I, th I think when it gets technical and there's like rules you can break, people get crazy when you break those rules. And I think people have to understand that these rules are like arbitrary, that are, they are not really there. You can do whatever you want, but because it's like packaged in this technical envelope, people think it's uh, mandatory to apply to those rules. And I think, you know, <laughs> can I swear on this podcast? Because honestly, so my very personal opinion is fuck that, do what you want. Don't care about other people and break rules because this is how you get creative. Well, as well, you know, social media being a big part of, I mean, I, I, honestly, I try so hard to get on with social media, but I dislike it so much. I think it brings out the worst in so many people. Mm. I think it's a great place for people. Um, there used to be an expression, I don't know if there's like a, a German equivalent for this, but it, those who can teach. So it was like a, I think it was an American thing, but it might've been in England as well. It was a, like a, an advertising campaign to get people involved in teaching. And it was like those who can teach. Mm -hmm. Well, it seems to be social media is a great place for people that can't to kind of dictate that that seems to be the most important part of, of, of social media for people is that their ability to kind of swing some level of self-enforced authority on other people. And with something like art, I find that very distressing because, I mean, I think we're seeing more and more as time goes on, we're kind of moving away from what the last century did for us, which was to liberate art a lot more and let people express themselves more freely. Now we seem to be sort of narrowing what is allowed from an artistic point of view, whether that be morally or from a from like an agreed set of rules authoritarian and point of view and i just wondered mm -hmm. you know to to not make this into like the most philosophical podcast in history but do you feel like social media is actually something positive when it comes to photography mm, i think this is a really cliche answer but i think there's always like two sides to the story i don't know if there's an kind of idiom in English, two sides of the coin or whatever you say, but, but I think you get the, the point that it has pros and it has cons. And I think if we wouldn't have social media, we, for example, wouldn't have that conversation. So connecting to people and making like, um, having good chats about art, about philosophy, even as, as you know, one way where social media is bringing us closer. But of course, it it can, you know, put a lot of pressure on people. And I can only speak for myself, but I'm sure that I'm not the only one who feels that way. When we're constantly surrounded by images that are being posted, people post every day, you scroll through your feed and it's like this endless supply of people who are kind of, you know, being creative. It can drain yourself because you feel like you're not producing as much as maybe you should or as much as other people should and also it feels like pictures are not you know they don't have a they don't survive as long mm -hmm. if if i can put it that way because you like it you scroll further and then it's gone and um i think this is also why i kind of like photography in the first place also detached from social media because it ha it does not have to be that way social media can be or at least i see social media as a platform where i try to drain all of the positive side effects for example connecting to people building relationships with people having like some sort of kind of fast portfolio but i try to get rid of the negative sides and i for example print my work because i'm 
it, it, it makes me mad when I when I think about that some images on social media only have the lifespan of a couple of seconds because that's not why we take photos because we take photos to freeze time and to make them survive for longer and not disappear in the kind of mist of social media. So yeah, there are definitely some, some positive sides, but I think uh, overall there are a lot of negative sides that I think is our responsibility for each and every one of us to to tackle in our own way and to try to make the most of it while not getting drained by the pressure and the appearance that everybody's creative and uh, posting all the time. So I, I want to move away from heavy topics. I feel like I've bam bamboozled <laughs> this right from the start, but it's, you get an impression of someone, you watch someone on YouTube or you follow someone on social media, you get an impression and you haven't disappointed in the slightest. I, I can tell we could probably do this for another hour or two hours and really get to some some deep stuff. But I, I want to talk more about you. Street photography. My wife is someone who absolutely doesn't understand street photography in the slightest. I've tried my absolute hardest to... Now, I'm not a good street photographer myself, but I certainly enjoy um, looking at other people that are actually good at it, looking at their work. I've tried to engage my wife in some of this. She never really understands sort of the purpose of it. As someone that goes out and actively does street photography, what does doing street photography do for you in terms of scratching that creative itch? And how successful are you on trips out when you're actually doing street photography? Mm. Before I answer that question, could you elaborate why you, you know street photography is a, a difficult genre for you or why you don't have that much understanding for it? As in me personally, I'm I'm just not a very good one. I think that I'm very, uh, I'm someone that wants to engage with whatever I'm photographing in in most mm -hmm. cases. And street photography being more standoffish, it's harder for me to interpret a narrative. So I, I shoot, I think I shoot something that is extremely similar to street photography. I photograph weddings and I do most of it in a reportage kind of way. I'm photographing. Mm -hmm natural candid moments but there's a there's a, a an embedded narrative to wedding photography not that mm -hmm. there's such a not really that there's such a thing as wedding photography but there's a wedding happening you understand the relationship between certain people you get to quite easily embed narrative into the image because it's already there whereas with street photography it's the same thing but there's it i find creating or finding that narrative to be a lot harder. I find, I find that it's not structured enough for me. And as we mentioned before mm -hmm. we started this podcast, I am a psychopath. So that's probably <laughs> where I fall short. I see. Okay. So it's basically about the storytelling element that you just feel that when you're in a setting that's kind of familiar for you, you feel more understandable of the situation. Like for example, with weddings compared to the street is at that point. Yeah, you're doing that that therapist thing now where you repeat back what I've said. You're trying to you're trying to shrink me. I like it. <laughs> All right, but now I have to deliver and not only kind of rephrase everything, right? Okay, so could you repeat the question about street photography you asked earlier? So what is it that, that street photography does for you in terms of scratching that creative itch? What what do you enjoy about creating street photography and uh, how successful are you on like the average trip at actually being able to create some create something that you like? Okay, so I think what you mentioned about street photography, what you kind of don't like is that it's kind of difficult and the narrative is not as clear, right? Yep. And I think that's the point 
that draws me to street photography because it's not easy and because uh, there are so many elements to juggle that some are in your kind of spectrum, some you can control and some you can't. And I just kind of like the, um, yeah, kind of the assemblance that you have to be at the right time, at the right moment, at the right place. And everything kind of has to fall together. And that's kind of, you know, you could go on the street every time because there could, there could be something going on. You just have to be lucky and you kind of have to have your tools under control to make it happen. And I think that excitement that I never know what's going to happen is definitely what draws me to the streets. But in terms of how successful I am, I think that's a totally different story. <laughs> <Because> I think <laughs> it, to, <laughs> to answer that story, we have to define what success is. So in terms of kind of shot rate, how many good images I, I have, well, you know, probably not as successful, to be honest, but that's not what I claim success to be because just alone, you know, being outside, observing what's happening on the street, observing kind of the dynamics of people, that's, you know, kind of the learning experience that I have from being on the street, regardless if I take photos or good photos or not. For me, it's definitely a, a big kind of success. I mean, it, it could have to do something with my job because I'm just very interested in humans and like to, to see what's happening in the world. So, you know, for me, that's a success. But images, honestly, I think if I have one or two good images on a roll, I am more than happy for, <laughs> for a street outing. Yeah, I think that would for me that would be a blinding success just to come away with one. I've done I've done several street photography trips in my in my life and I actually made the point last year of starting a project, a personal project to force myself to engage with it more and then mm -hmm. I decided to do that at literally about a month and a half before a pandemic hit and I couldn't go anywhere. Um and I live in possybly possibly the ugliest town and you could not, interpret not that possible every because i'm sure that i'm uh, i'm from the ugliest time you've ever been to so yeah but but yeah i feel you it's, it's hard if you don't feel like your town has so much to offer is it yeah i mean you can chase good light all day long but um polishing a turd springs to mind when it comes to photographing good light of a bad scene it's um, <laughs> there's only so much that actually does for me you've mentioned shooting roles and obviously we're talking film um now given what you were doing in the beginning was kind of uh photographing scenes why mm -hmm. film because surely digital would be a much more cost effective way especially if you're going to reinterpret the scene yeah but i think for me it's not about efficiency it's not about costs or hang on hang on hang on hang on hang on hang on we're not going to we're not going to bypass that I've I've got to say something about the fact that you're a German <laughs> saying that it's not about efficiency. <laughs> oh man, yeah, those cliches. Yeah, I think I'm a very un-German German. Besides sometimes the humor elements, I'm not punctual. I'm not efficient. I don't wear <laughs> socks and sandals. So there's a lot of very un-German things about me. Do you put your uh, beach towel on the sun lounger at like 6 a.m. to make sure that the British can't get to it? <laughs> Yes, that's a must, though. Yeah, that's, that's fine. I, I agree with that. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, for some people, it can be about efficiency. But uh, for me, the un-German German, it's not about efficiency. And um, I, I feel like I'm talking in cliche so much. I hope it's, it's it doesn't sound too cliche, but this is like 
seriously what I think because um, for me it's about the process of shooting because I enjoy as I say you know going out having like the tactile experience of fiddling around with the camera and I tried trust me I tried shooting digital and I'm not like ew digital I, I'm not against it but it, it just doesn't give me the same kind of enjoyment that I have when shooting film because it just feels like more natural for my kind of style of shooting because I like to have like tactile things I like to have like full control over all of the settings and um yeah it kind of reminds me more of my other creative endeavors it reminds me more of painting when I'm kind of fiddling around with an analog camera and also the whole developing process of getting your hands kind of dirty it feels more like doing something doing like yeah something with your hands like that tactile. sounds a bit... it feels tactile it feels like you're part you're part of the process exactly and i'm not against shooting digital you know if i ever have get a camera that gives me the same feeling i would honestly i would be pleased because it would save me a lot of time <laughs> sitting on the computer and um scanning my films so i wouldn't be against it but i just haven't found the right digital tool yet and analog does feel that way for me so i don't see any point of switching to digital just because of cost efficient of cost reasons or more kind of efficiency reasons with regards to film then and i mean i find film fascinating one thing i do find really fascinating about film and i only started it because of lockdown last year i decided that i was sick of that talking of cliches that cliche where people say like you're not a real photographer if you haven't shot film <laughs> so i decided to shoot film and develop it and and kind of like scratch that out of my to-do list so to speak especially because i had literally nothing to do for about nine months mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but i find i find film very interesting because it seems like it's actively trying to fail the industry seems like it's actively trying to fail because I don't think there's ever been a bigger resurgence of a very outdated medium like there has been for film. There seems mm -hmm. to be like right now, the last six months especially, feels like it's the absolute peak of the mountain. Mm -hmm. And in that time, the biggest news that the film, and I really hate the word film community because it's a lot of the time doesn't feel like one. But the biggest news that's hit the film community over the last six months is Fuji deciding to discontinue a popular line of film. And it just mm -hmm. seems like there's no, I don't know, it just feels like there's no, there's all of this energy and this momentum towards film succeeding and the people that could be making money out of it almost want it to fail. It's a very <laughs> bizarre time for film. Do you see film being something that's actually around significantly longer? Hmm. So I think there's two voices in me, one that's trying to be more realistic and one voice that's kind of <laughs> trying to say what I wish for. And I'm not sure if they both agree, <laughs> but yes, I mean, I wish that there will be film, you know, for longer and that we will still have the joy of shooting film in 10 years. And realistically speaking, I think you are right that the kind of companies that are responsible for still producing film are kind of not keeping up with the demand that's that's uh, currently happening. But I, I don't necessarily see that as a bad point. I think maybe we're not at the peak yet. Maybe it seems like the interest is growing and we think that this has to be like the end point, but maybe it just needs some more, you know, some more people um, being into it to keep it growing and keep it steady. And I think what we, you know, we I'm, for example, I'm a film consumer. I don't know a lot of 
a lot about the industry. But one thing I kind of got to know, like just recently, is that um, even though film photography is, you know, on on the up again, mm -hmm. it's only one part of how companies work. And especially the motion picture kind of uh, situation is very, very um entangled in the film photography situation. So I think as long as we have directors who are shooting movies on motion picture film, I don't see any threat of film for like film photography cameras um, to be taken off the market. So as long as the kind of cinema industry is going hand in hand with the photography in industry, I think we're good, but I'm definitely getting scared in case uh, big directors are saying, well, I'm going to, shoot my movies on on digital now because i think this is when companies like kodak and fuji might throw film overboard all at once but for now i think we're we're okay well i was talking a while back to bray hunziker about the future of film and something that i brought up with him which i think i gave him a bit of a, a little bit of a crisis over <laughs> was the fact that i i don't know necessarily whether film is going to be what we've always thought is that film will disappear and i think probably most people still think that the death of film will be film disappearing. But I actually mm -hmm. think there's the potential that the death of film could be the cameras disappearing. And I mm -hmm. say this extremely ironically as someone who sat next to at a very healthy guess about 65 cameras I have on my wall uh, <laughs> that I do use on a regular basis, but that's, that's a horrendous amount of cameras for one person to have. There's the potential that there's a lot of people out there that are either hoarding, using cameras as sort of display pieces or are incredibly um they're not careful with their cameras and the, the the ability to repair those cameras is going to fade away because the people that repair them are are getting older and I don't want to be too morbid here but they're not going to be around forever I worry the lack of companies that are kind of stepping in I'm really surprised that someone maybe not Canon cuz as an ex Canon user I do know how stupid they are but I'm really surprised that a company like Canon or Nikon haven't brought out a updated version of like the Canon EOS 3 or I don't know what the Nikon sort of DS, the SLR Nikon was. I don't know any model numbers, but I'm surprised they haven't come out with something that could capitalize on this in some way. It just seems, it seems almost like the corporate side of this whole big movement has just completely disintegrated and... There's, there's almost silence from that side of things. And I worry that, especially seeing lots and lots of um, videos, uh, I think um, you might be aware of, of Jason Comerfeld, Grainy Days. Mm. He puts up a, a video about a camera that he's bought. The price on, on eBay, the price online goes up exponentially because everyone's then looking for one and they become like hen's teeth. You can't find them. There's, there's definitely the potential here that the cameras are going to disappear before the film does. Mm. Is that a worry? Oh, I think I will have to think about that because I see the point. I definitely see the point. Um, and I think I, because it's two, two things here. Like one thing is Shell, like companies like Nikon or Canon put out new film cameras in order to keep it alive. That's one point. And the other point is what shall we do with all the film cameras that are around right now? Will they die out or will they still be, you know, able to carry us over the years and still work? And in terms of the companies, I don't know how much influence we have. I am totally not into the whole kind of system, how they 
um, manage their finances. I don't know if even though film is on the up again, if, if it makes sense for them financially to put out a film camera, because even for me, I don't think I would buy a new film camera because it's not about the the newness of the camera that is drawing me to it, but because I like cameras that have a background story. So I would still rather prefer to buy a used one, mm -hmm. but I think it's just important to us or for us to, to not forget that the cameras might be something that's, that are, no, okay. Let, <laughs> let me re rephrase that. I think because you mentioned it, it's important for everybody to kind of be aware that the cameras might be one point that is dying out, but we're kind of responsible for it ourselves. I think um, as long as we keep good maintenance of our cameras and try to kind of um, keep them clean, keep them working and invest the money to, to give them to the few repairmen that are still out there, I think there's a chance chance for them to survive. And maybe we just have to think a tiny bit broader than you know, I want this camera, the Pentax 6.7, the Mamiya 7, because people are using them on YouTube. And maybe we just have to um, kind of get familiar with the thought that maybe film cameras, how they exist now might not exist, but maybe there will be like more 3D printed cameras that might save the cameras we have right now or 3D, 3D printed cameras that will st still make it possible to shoot film, even though they are not the popular and kind of hyped up cameras we see on social media. So I think if it's really about the medium and people really want to shoot film, there will be cameras for them, even though it's my, it might not be the best of the best and coolest of the coolest newest you know most vintage kit that people sell you on youtube so i think the people who want to stick to film will have the possibility regardless that's my personal opinion but maybe i'm just a bit optimistic and idealistic which is also extremely un-German. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm starting to get a little bit suspicious here you speak english very well i think maybe you're just good at accents at this point <laughs> okay, so at the beginning of this, I alluded to um, my anger and jealousy towards you. Um, so I should probably elaborate a little bit. Um, something that I personally hate about the digital side of photography um, when it comes to gear, and I'm really not a gear person, but when it comes to gear is that there's no unique... Wait, wait, wait. Didn't you say that you have 56 cameras and you say you're not a gear person? I honestly can you couldn't elaborate tell you. On that? I can do, I can do. <laughs> so um, I'm a gear person in the sense of I like... I think different cameras inspire you to to take different types of photos. I think that yes. if if you if you give a street photographer a huge DSLR, they're going to behave differently. If you give a wedding photographer a rangefinder or a point and shoot, they're going to behave differently. I think that the camera can really inform the behavior and therefore the end product. So in that sense, I would say I'm a gear person, but mm -hmm. I'm not a gear person in the sense of and I'm really sorry for this to the people that do this, but the people that message me about gear, I don't like those conversations in the slightest because mm -hmm. in, in most cases, it's a pissing contest between who's more <laughs> excited about their slave made piece of plastic from the far East. And it's a depressing conversation at best and a tedious one at worst. And the other side of it is that when people talk about gear and this is this i think is an entirely english thing because i don't really have this when i speak to people outside of england they ask you for advice with the intention of ignoring you and i don't mm -hmm. like giving up the little time i have on this crappy rock 
talking to people about stuff that they've already made their mind up over and wasting my time and energy. So that's how I'm not a gear person. I'm a gear person in the sense that I love cameras and or, or whatever it is that I'm interested in. When I was a musician, I was very interested in the actual equipment, but not the conversation that comes with it because I find the conversation to be depressing and tedious. So hopefully yeah, I've rede- have I redeemed myself there? No, I think it makes total sense because okay. I agree with you on all points. Like I, I'm definitely the same when it comes to that kind of gear talk thing. So with digital, the thing I hate the most about digital photography genuinely is that there's no unique gear. That every thing you could possibly want has been done by at least five or six companies and the market for digital equipment, the people that that are in the message boards or are in the comment sections or whatever are all asking for every camera to have identical features and it's infuriating because you know Fuji brought out the X-Pro3 it had a hidden screen it had different features to make it a different camera and the vast majority of people that would have never bought it anyway completely shit the bed because it looks different and it doesn't have all the same features that every other camera has which is just such an absolutely idiotic interpretation of how you want market research to be done. I would rather have something. I've been begging for Canon or someone to produce a digital camera that doesn't have video functions because I don't care about video functions. And I would rather have it slimmed right down and have all of the processing power go towards stills and make it a stills only camera but we have to make every camera into an everything camera. And that mm. makes it have no personality. And like you said about backstory on cameras, cameras now are just soulless for the most part. They're completely soulless. They're, they're specs machines for people to, to talk about in between their job as a, a dentist or an IT person or whatever. With film photography, there was stuff that was there were real outliers that was unusual that did stuff that other cameras didn't do. It was tailor-made for a specific role. And there's one camera in particular that did this. I think there's actually two technically, um, but I don't want the other one. Uh, the Hasselblad <laughs> X-Pan is a camera that I cannot tell you how much I want that camera. I cannot tell I've never used it. I've never held one. I cannot tell you how much I want that camera. Not enough to put myself in significant debt, but I, I really want that camera. I really want the opportunity to shoot that camera. And you've shot that camera. Do you own that camera? Yes. And because you mentioned Jason from Grainy Days earlier, I'm very, very happy that I got it before he released the video because otherwise I don't think <laughs> there would have been good chances for me to get one. Yeah, exactly. He's. It's not just him, but there is definitely a, a YouTube tax that goes on top of cameras the minute they've been mentioned. So please just indulge me here. Tell me all about using the X-Pan, why you like it, why you don't. Preferably why you don't, so you can talk me out of it. But tell me, <laughs> tell me about the X-Pan. I'm going to bash it so you don't want, so you <laughs> will not want one for sure. Please. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I have to think about how long I own it now. I got it last year in November, so it's been like a good yeah, nine months or something using using it. <laughs> like one pregnancy of X-Pan, more or less. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a very unique camera, but I, I'm still not at the point where I, I can comfort, comfortably say that I know everything. But um, 
Yeah, maybe maybe you can help me out here. What, what would you be interested in about learning about this camera? Because I feel like I know the the kind of hype and like 100% I've been there, like the exact same position, the exact same thoughts that you mentioned before I got it. But kind of now having it, it just feels like every other camera with a very specific purpose. So I, I think like once you own a camera, you kind of lose the, the magic... Uh, lusting after this uh, far away thing um, that right. I'm not really sure what's kind of interesting for people to know about it. Well, I think, like I said earlier about having different cameras inspire you in different ways, or at least sort of inform the way that you behave and inform the end product. I feel like the Hasselblad, every time I see someone do a video on the X-Pan, they generally just, I'm, I'm not, I, I really don't want to be mean here. I'm trying my best. No, fuck it. I'll just say what I think. They just shoot what they would normally shoot, but wide. Mm -hmm. They don't mm -hmm. do anything with the format. And I'm not saying all, but most. Um, they don't do anything with the format that is interesting. It's just wider. It's like mm -hmm. you see people that do, they start their YouTube as a digital photographer or a 35 millimeter film photographer and then they buy a, a medium format camera and then they do the exact same thing they were doing with 35 mil with the medium format and then they go up to large format and they do the exact same thing and it's like it doesn't feel like you're it, it feels like you're buying gear so that the title of the video on youtube will get people to click on it because it says medium format or it says Pentax 6.7 or it says Intrepid or whatever. It doesn't feel like you're being inspired by the gear. I don't feel like the pictures mean anything or they're not, the gear hasn't done anything. And I, I know that gear isn't the, the, the be all and end all of, of photography. I know that more than most, but you're not even being informed by it. Like you're not inspired by it. And if you're not being inspired by it, what the hell did you waste your money for? And why did you waste my time on this video? Which I know is an extremely entitled viewpoint for someone to have. With the, with the X-Pan, do you feel like it informs you differently? Do you feel like you start to see in panoramic, so to speak? You start to look for things specifically that would suit that. Did it make you change the way that you were actually looking at what you were photographing? Well, I, th I hope so. At least that's the goal why I thought... The X-Pen might be the right camera for me because I tried and I, I'm pretty sure that I'm not there yet. And I'm pretty sure that um, just as other people, I might be guilty of, you know, um, not using it to the fullest. It could, but it, it just takes time to get used to it. Right. But at least I think that once I go into a day of shooting with the mindset of I'm going to shoot panoramic now it does change my view on things. And I try to look out for things that are suitable for the composition and try to not photograph what I usually do just in white. But honestly, it's, <laughs> in <white. laughs> it's, it's, it's hard. <laughs> Is it the case though with, with your photography? So with yours, I mean, because there's one thing about you that, that's slightly annoying to me in the... <laughs> And, and oh, I'm excited. Okay. Yeah, this is how I start compliments. This is, this is it's a miracle <laughs> I'm married. It's an absolute miracle I'm married. So something that annoys me with you is I'm, I'm unbelievably OCD when it comes to uh, the way that I, I work. 
Like, I'm so maybe ve- you're a bit more German than me, actually. Well, I'm, I come from a German family, so I'm 100% uh, more German than, <laughs> than most people in England. But I might, I might even be slightly more German than you. I'm very punctual. Um, I'm, I'm not funny in the slightest. I'm, uh, I, I mean, I tend to support Germany at, at tournaments more than I do England, but let's not go into that. When it comes to photography for me, I'm very OCD about genre. Like mm-hmm. I have specific sort of pigeonholes to put my work, depending on whether it's like portrait and fashion, weddings, sort of architecture and street photography. And I don't ever want them to cross over. I try my best to never let them sort of cross contaminate. With you, you take a variety of different genres. Now here's the compliment is coming, I promise. Now, here's the thing that annoys me, and this is the compliment. I'm saying annoy, but it is a compliment. Here's the thing that annoys me with you is that I like everything that you do. And for some reason, it doesn't annoy me that you cross-contaminate <laughs> stuff. Like it, it, with like everybody else, I, I don't want someone that normally shoots landscapes to put up a portrait. Because for some reason, in my absolutely psychopathic brain, it's like, <laughs> stop it, put that somewhere else. This was a neat and tidy area until you just ruined it. With you, because like I said, you're non, I'm, I'm putting words in, in your mouth or I'm, I'm sort of speaking for you here, but because you're non-committal so much about the medium as you are about the end product, I don't mm-hmm. mind it. I actually like the fact that there's all of this diversity within your work. And I feel like giving someone like you an X-Pan or giving someone like you a large format camera or like what you did with the incredibly German beer cans, I think it was beer cans. <laughs> I mean, that, mm-hmm. that, that's just straight up stereotype. That was almost racist against yourself that you did that. But that's a stereotype that's actually true. I really love beer. Like, but yeah. go on. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, everyone knows the Germans love their beer. Um, England just like to get trolleyed on anything that they can buy for as cheap as possible and then go and smash up someone else's country. It's Everyone has a stereotype <laughs> and that one's definitely true. But with, with you, it feels like every time you get a, a, a different medium, you're actually interpreting from that medium. And that's why I was interested in, in what the X-Pan did for you in terms of when you were out shooting with it. Were you slower? Was it harder to compose because there was more in the frame? You know, what, what, mm. what did it do to you as a photographer in terms of your decision making? So at first, I, th- I mean, it was a slow start to the compliment, but I have to say, I think this is one of the... <laughs> it's a miracle I'm married. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> no, but honestly, I think this is like one of the nicest comments I actually got because, um, you know, this is, um, well, I don't know how to put it, but that's actually what I want to achieve, that I want to kind of just juggle around a lot of stuff because I'm not a professional photographer. I do not do one genre and stick to it, but I kind of want to be the um, the face for all the people who are unsure about what they like in photography, what they want to explore, because I just throw everything in there. And if there's something good, it's, it's okay. And if not, then I had fun at least. So I just try to not be so serious about things. So, you know, you're saying that it kind of translates that the medium might not be as important because um whatever happens happens i think this you know i I feel that so i'm 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 very thankful for for that that comment on um yeah the work i do but regarding the expand to just get the red thread right there so what was the question again what what did you say like about the expand how much does it inform like your decision making and does it slow you down does it speed you up do you look at the world differently with it 
So one thing it definitely does, and I think I am kind of stealing that from Eduardo Pavez here because he said that in one of his videos about the X-Band that every time he looks through the viewfinder, he feels like the absolute worst photographer ever. And once the images come out, he's like, oh yeah, well, that's actually pretty nice. And I feel <laughs> that way exactly the same. I just feel like every time I hold it and I look through the viewfinder that I'm that I'm terrible, that I should stop shooting forever because I cannot handle the, you know, uniqueness and the beauty of this camera and I'm kind of not worth it in any way. And once the, the images turn out, I'm like, yeah, well, that's not too bad. So um, I try to kind of make it justice in um, adjusting my thinking process when I shoot with it. And I try to think about the elements uh, and the compositions to make them work on panoramic and I definitely see that I notice different things when I, when I go out and shoot and I'm kind of thinking in, you know, a wider aspect ratio. Um, but I cannot say if it slows me down or if it kind of makes my work faster because it also depends on what I'm, what I'm shooting here in Germany, we have had a lockdown for quite some time. So I was not really able to shoot street photography for a long time, but I, I think two weeks ago, um, I was in Berlin and I used the X-Band for street photography for the very first time. And I can assure you, I, I think I've never burned through a roll like in that pace. It was just like snap, 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 snap. And a day earlier, I shot with the X-Band at night. And I think this was the absolute longest time I ever took for a roll. And, you know, just to mind that it's, it only has 20 to 21 shots. So those 20 shots were, took me forever because I wanted to be so specific about the compositions and make them work. So it really depends, but I think, um, the interaction of the aspect ratio and the kind of medium in terms of looks like street photography, nighttime photography, architecture, or whatever, this is really kind of what plugs my brain <laughs> to make it work together. Now let's talk about YouTube. Um, I've, I've tried and failed, I think three times to have a YouTube channel of any value, especially when it comes to doing videos. It's just not something I think I have the personality for. I definitely have a face for radio <laughs> and, uh, I definitely can't do that whole, you know, smash the like button, subscribe. I'm just not self, uh, advertising in that way. And I think if you don't act in a certain way on YouTube, it can be quite damaging. I'm definitely not a California person. <laughs> Why did you feel compelled to start YouTube, um, especially considering, again, to go back to it, but you seem to be very focused on the end product. It seems sort of counterintuitive that you'd want to show people the process. Mm, so I think I, I'm not sure if my work is all about the end product, because for me, it is about the process, but I just don't mind which process it is. I think that's kind of the teeny tiny difference that... Um, it's not about the outcome per se, but it's about my experience kind of with it. So I think it actually makes sense to document that experience because I don't really mind the pictures, but I mind the kind of learning curve that I have with it. Um, but I mean, that's just a tiny difference, but I just feel like it's not very, f at least I, I personally, but I mean, it can be different from an outside perspective. I don't think that the outcome is the most important point for me, but it is my kind of pleasure in the experience, but not the medium itself. You know what I mean? So I don't mind if it's photography, if it's painting or whatever, but I like the process of doing it, whatever mm -hmm. medium it might be. So just to kind of clean that up a bit, because um, I, I don't want to look at myself to be a photographer who's only kind of keen about the outcome, because I think that's, I don't know if, yeah, I, I will have to think about that, honestly, but um, <laughs> like, 
I think what you said earlier that you're not that type of person who's in, in that sense, outgoing California style, hey, smash that like button and, and things like that. I, I'm not that either. And I was actually worrying about that fact if, you know, I'm kind of made for YouTube, if I can do that, if I'm not this kind of extrovert type of personality. But um, I actually don't do that. I don't ask anybody to like or follow or whatever, because I just don't care if people like it, then they like it. And I don't feel like I have to ask them for that or remind them about that. So I can definitely feel the kind of um, adversity against that because this does absolutely not feel like myself to, to ask that kind of things in videos. Um, but yeah, just to get to the point, <laughs> finally, um, what made me start the YouTube channel was in fact that I was bored and I had nothing to do because we were in the first lockdown in Germany and I couldn't work for a couple of weeks. And I thought I just... <laughs> have I have to do something to keep sane and not get totally crazy and get submitted into a mental hospital because I just have <laughs> nothing to do kind of and that's why I started to um to record videos about film photography and I think what motivated me in the first place and I definitely don't want to open up the whole kind of gender um topic because I think that's a topic we could probably talk about for an hour but when I started there were not a lot of female photographers kind of visible on YouTube doing photography work and showing, talking about kind of technical things like cameras. And the only person I knew back then was Madison Beach, which I still really, really, you know, support. And I love her work and I love her channel, but she was the only one I kind of followed and I knew who was uh, making videos. And I just thought um, that it's a bummer and I want to be like part of the kind of female face for, for people as well to show that we take photos of as well. And honestly, the whole idea was just kind of a time. It was just to kind of fill out some time um, during the pandemic once I couldn't work and it just kind of never stopped since then, even though I thought this would probably be like three videos and then I'm done. Um, but yeah, it's still going and I'm kind of happy that, that it's still going and I can't stop. <laughs> That's basically it. <laughs> well, how much of, of being a YouTube person now, I'm going to call you a YouTube person. It's going to sound like an insult, but it's not. How much of being a person on YouTube making videos does, how much does that influence what you're doing with your photography? So like, I, I can't imagine it's particularly easy to, to go about what you would normally do with photography and film yourself at the same time and do, you know, the before and after sort of speech and, you know, narrative and so on. It's got to be quite a lot of extra production going into what would have been much simpler to just have as, a session where you go and take photos or you go and do some street photography or anything like that. Mm -hmm. How, how much harder or how much more enjoyable has that made being a photographer and doing photography? It's definitely more work. And I, I'm sometimes thinking, well, I could, you know, get that shot done if I don't film or I could get that kind of done quicker. Um, but for me, kind of the video aspect and the photography aspect are two different parts because I take the photos um, as a photographer, but I try to package the photos as a more or less cinematographer. I mean, honestly, like my video... Um, production is not the best. I think there are people who are way, way better in terms of cinematography and kind of putting everything into the right light. My footage is often shaky and stuff like that. But for me, it's 
a different kind of genre. And I try to make those videos into small little packages that are um, a bit more than only the images. So I kind of enjoy both processes. I enjoy the taking photo process, but I also enjoy trying to make something more out of it with the video. So it's not really a burden to do it, but it's just a different creative process to do it. And like more than once, it also forced me to get out because sometimes, I mean, we're all lazy <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, unmotivated I feel like I'm in a creative rut or I'm just simply lazy and want to do something else I don't know go out with friends or whatever uh, and then it kind of helps me as well to get out get the stuff done be a bit more productive than I might be without the channel and simply shoot more so I think it's it kind of goes hand in hand to motivate me to go out more because I know that it could also benefit the channel how's the feedback been overall I mean like I said I'm I'm very, I'm, well, I'm very particular about photography on YouTube because I think at one end of the scale, you've got people that put in, you know, hours and hours and days and days of research into informing you about artists and previous photographers, or they do book reviews, or they, they do very in-depth behind the scenes or tutorials. And then at the other end of the scale, you've got people that, you know, that are Pete McKinnon essentially. And it's, it's a hell of a lot of icing and there's no cake. It's just all flash and bollocks and no real actual substance. How's the feedback been with, with YouTube other than people like me who do insult slash compliments in some kind of bizarre <laughs> combination. How's the feedback been on, on the YouTube videos so far? Um, well, I hope I'm not a Peter McKinnon type of person, but I honestly, I, I used to, to watch his, his videos uh, when I was younger. So no hate here. Um, I think the feedback is rather diverse. So there's, um, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of thankful that I get comments under the videos that I get to engage with people. And most of the comments, like I would say almost like 95% are engaging and positive and kind of open up a conversation, which is what I kind of had in mind in the first place to meet people. And I'm surely, I, I surely had a lot of good conversations because of videos on the channel that kind of led in a different direction, but just as with everybody. And I think um, that's kind of normal if you're kind of out there and show your face and talk about topics that might, um, that might kind of, I don't know if polarize is the right word, but that kind of might uh, lead different opinions about things there of course is also hate and there's people who comment things that are mean that are personal that are racist that are sexist or whatever there's a lot of things that that happen but um when i put them all on the scale i definitely have to say that the kind of door opening good conversations that i had way way overweight the kind of negativity around there but you cannot please everybody. And I'm like, after a couple of videos, I already knew that <laughs> I would either thicken up my skin and just swallow those bad comments and do what I love or kind of get sad or um, kind of doubtful about my work. But I'm, I'm just, I'm choosing to ignore those and do what I love and interact with the people that I like. Well, I do remember getting an email about six months ago to do with the podcast. And I, like you said, you get a mix of feedback and, and so on. And I, 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 I want to print this email and put it on my wall. I loved it so much. It really cheered me up. It was, uh, from just a completely random person. I have no idea who they are. They took the time to mm -hmm. email me, which is very bizarre. And the subject said, 
podcast question mark. So I thought it was someone every so often, like today, I get someone that wants to come on and I tend to not do that because I just want to invite people rather than invite themselves. Um, so mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be someone asking if they could come on the podcast and I opened the email and there was just one sentence and it just said too much bass. And I laughed <laughs> so hard. Like I love that they took all that time, but they didn't want to go into like any specifics or even have a dialogue. Or it was just, I thought it was so wonderful. It summed up the internet to me and that someone just felt compelled to just criticize in one sentence and then just peace out straight away. I loved it so much. I laughed so much. Okay. So I've taken up way too much of your time. Um, I feel extremely guilty. Good thing. I'm not punctual and I don't have another appointment because (laughs) I do actually have time, but yeah. Um, so last question, um, you mentioned, and I, I agree with you, we could talk about the, the gender side of things and, and sort of the demographic side of, of photography or YouTube or whatever, quite a bit. Um, it would be a very interesting conversation with you pretending to be German with that accent and me actually being German, but with an English accent. But what do you think is, is holding back more women, girls from getting involved with photography and then being more visible as photographers? Well, I don't know. I still don't know because um, I'm not sure like how the demographics really are. I don't know how many women are interested in photography. If there, I, I would say if it starts from there, that there's simply less women interested in photography. But I do kind of doubt that it's like... Uh, such a big difference as it seems to be on YouTube. So I am pretty sure that there are a lot of women shooting film and that there are a lot of fantastic, wonderful, talented women who definitely would have the expertise, the knowledge and the skills to to do it. And um, I, I can only like look at that from a personal perspective because I knew what had stopped me beforehand or why I kind of didn't even see it as an option beforehand because I simply made, uh, because I had uh, kind of, let's call it unlucky experiences as a female, um, shooting film, because I was, uh, browsing around in forums, trying to learn more about film photography, trying to engage with people. And not all interactions have been nice. And what I just said about the YouTube channel that I feel like the majority is like really nice and just like really wonderful and engaging in those forums that I was um, kind of dealing with earlier, it was pretty much the other way around. And I feel like especially it could be because of different reasons. I don't know if it specifically specifically had something to do with my gender, but um, I will, I didn't feel that welcome. And that's kind of also what helped me back to expose myself in that way. And I'm not sure if other women might experience the same, but I, at least I, what I can say is that um, there are a lot of women starting channels. There are a lot of female people having YouTube channels. Um, I think, you know, the exposure might also not be there as much as, um, yeah, as it could. So I think we're on a good path, but it will simply take some time. I feel like there's a couple of, a couple of factors that do, do come into it. I think that it's very geographical. I I think, Mm. um, excluding the YouTube side of things, just talking in terms of photography. Um, but if I look for a, a wedding photographer or a family photographer or a portrait photographer anywhere in sort of 
the middle of the United States, almost entirely it's going to be female. Mm, and there's, yeah. a, there's a very specific style of photography that comes with that. Um, I think that there's, there's a lot, I, I, I think that there's a lot of people that just focus on not being visible. And it's something I've learned with doing the podcast. There's people I've contacted that are, you know, they've got a tremendous set of images. They've got a wonderful portfolio. They've photographed huge names and they've done huge campaigns in fashion or, or whatever. And then they just, they're like, no, I don't, I don't really like to speak on photography. And they almost mm-hmm. don't want to be visible to the public eye in any way, shape or form. And that doesn't mean they're not actually out there photographing. It doesn't mean they're not actually out there creating amazing work. It just means that they don't want to deal with the other side of things. And one thing with social media that, um, for a quick shout out, if anyone wants to just hate humanity more than they possibly ever thought they could, they could follow an Instagram page called influencers in the wild, which just shows you the sort of the behind the scenes look at the narcissism of people, uh, <laughs> especially since TikToks come along. I think that it's now become almost surprising that people don't want to try and be famous in some way or try and be recognized in some way or in some way be a brand. Some people just want to take pictures and create a portfolio and then that's it. They don't want that idolization or they don't want to to seek it maybe because it comes with the negativity maybe because there are i'm very i had a very complimentary mother uh, at my last wedding and i've never felt so awkward in my life in front of about 20 people she was talking me up and honestly i folded like a birthday card i hated it so much <laughs> i couldn't stand like i'd rather she was throwing insults at me i could have just cracked on with my job it was much harder to deal with with that side of things. So maybe there are people that just don't want that attention in whatever way it may come negative or positive. And, and maybe- that is absolutely valid. That is absolutely, you know, okay. Yeah. hundred percent. And I wish we would, especially since I don't know about Germany in England, they're talking about how kids now are talking about when they're at school, what job do they want to do when they grow up? It's like they want to be an influencer or they want to be an Instagram <laughs> model or whatever. And I think that's very sad. I don't want to be mean, but I do think that's very sad. That's very low ambition. And I'd like to, I mean, people can do whatever they want, but I am going to make fun of them for it. I, I think that maybe there are people that want to be a great photographer or they want to be a great musician or they want to be, you know, it's something that I always thought about Daniel Day-Lewis as an actor. He doesn't like the public eye at all, but he likes acting and it seems counterproductive, mm-hmm. but that's because we assume that every actor wants to be a celebrity. Whereas he wants to act, he wants to create these pieces of work that he can be really proud of, that test him, that, that inspire him. But he doesn't want to do the, the talk afterwards with like TMZ or E! Entertainment because that's just not the part of the job that he's interested in. And like you said, that's completely valid and people should be happy not wanting the attention if they don't genuinely want it. Exactly. And I think, I think what you're saying is very important because also, um, I think we have to differ between kind of external and internal goals. If your goal is, for example, let's say to be, uh, you know, an influencer, that's an external goal because you cannot really influence that. But if you say, I want to produce content, I want to do 
you know, whatever it is, I want to act, I want to take photos. That's an internal goal because you can do that. And whatever outcome comes from it, if you, you know, don't get attention, if you get attention, that's not in your hands. So I think we all should just, I mean, that not to be pathetic, but I, I definitely mean it, that we should simply seek for internal goals that we can achieve, that we have kind of uh, on our hands. And my goal was just to, you know, do my job, be, be a psychologist and on the side, do what I like. And that is taking photos, being creative, um, creating whatever, whatever I'm creating. And if it happens to be some sort of, I mean, honestly, really small platform in my case, or if it doesn't, this doesn't really matter, but we should stick to what we have, what we can kind of influence. A hundred percent. Although I will disagree with you. Your job is not that you are clearly a spy. Because you're the least <laughs> you're the least German German I've ever spoken to in Damn my it, life. I'm exposed. I know, and I think I might have been exposed as a spy for the Germans. So this is this is terrible. A psychopath spy, actually, right? That's right. Yeah. So really, not a particularly trustworthy spy in the slightest. Um, <laughs> this has been one of the most enjoyable conversations I've I've had on this podcast. So I really do appreciate you taking the time. Uh, as I always say on every one of these, the most important part of this is that I turn the entire world into my own algorithm and force people to like stuff that I like. So if you can please tell people where they can go to follow you on your YouTube or your Instagram, your website, please plug away, tell people where to go. Well, we just talked about that we are not people who plug and then we plug, right? But yeah, of course, um, you can find me uh, both on Instagram and on YouTube under my name Karin Mayoka. And that's probably the only time you will hear me say that because in my videos, I don't tell you to follow me. And I forced you to do it. And also you have, <laughs> you've done the one thing that's the most important uh, part of this is that you've told people how to say your first name so they won't keep calling you Karen. <laughs> that's true. But I mixed it up myself on the channel. So I, so I take the cake. Karin Mayuka is how you pronounce it. But, I'm, but I gave up. You can call me Karen as well. Well, a massive thank you to Karen Magica for coming on the podcast. It's been, I'm joking, obviously. That's not, I'm not telling people to call you. <laughs> no, a massive thank you for taking the time to do this. I really do appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we get to do a part two at some point and talk about something even more controversial. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thanks for having me. And yeah, that was a really nice conversation. Thanks. So right